Alright, so today I'm joined by Shantanu Shekhar on the RevOps Review. Shantanu, how's it going? Great. Fantastic to connect, Jeff. It's brilliant to be here. Big fan of yours also, always uh, been very closely connected to Cognizant as well, so good to, good to be here. Yeah, well, one of the funny things is I, for so many guests that come onto this podcast, I have not spoken to them like live one-on-one like this, except for just on LinkedIn over the last couple of years. So always remarkable to always put a face to the name. So for the audience, absolutely. For the audience members who don't know who you are, could you introduce yourself? Absolutely, I'll give a very short version, uh, which is I've been in the revenue operations world for the better part of a decade. I was a management consultant in a, in a past life. I'm always intrigued by the different paths into RevOps for different people. So management consultant at Bain, spent a good, good amount of time working on revenue strategies, growth potential there, and then moved into RevOps with LinkedIn back in 2015. Uh, spent a few years there, then went into a, I, would, I wouldn't say startup, but an early stage company with Nitro, but I have a chance to work on broader RevOps across the full value chain. And then by the last 20 months, I've been leading go-to-market operations or revenue operations at Gong. I find that there's like three main pathways into revenue operations and almost everyone accidentally comes into the profession. The first is technical background. Someone's like a system admin working on the tooling mm-hmm. and then they layer on more armor or more responsibilities. The second is someone who comes from like the front line, SDR, sales, mm-hmm. marketer, and they fall in love with the science side of the go-to-market, so they end up falling into that as right. well. Then there's a third person, someone who works on business strategy, analytics. I came from finance myself um, and management consulting before that, before going into operations. But I, I can tell you, learning the tooling, the, the, that was a struggle for me when I first came into operations. Right. Oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's a very good point because if I think about and, and there's, there's so many different definitions of revenue operations, right? But if I think about the core pillars, I love your P's acronym, Jeff. I keep using that everywhere, a variation of that. But if I think about my version of it is strategy, process, systems, data, and enablement, um, I think systems and enablement is the one piece which I think I have learned over the years. And I think my, my grounding is more in the first three. So it's, it's great how, how you get so many different uh, skills and experiences and, and the beauty of course is I think getting all of those things together because you're piecing it all together to drive more value for the business in the end. So it's late October and many businesses are planning for next year. I'm curious how you approach annual planning with your business partners and laying out those different scenarios. Super. So I think and I would almost think about annual planning is very different depending on the maturity of the company as well right and i think you've you've been in so many different stages of companies yourself jeff i think the part which i love is depending on the on the company whether it's agile enough to be in constant planning motion versus an annual plan which is almost written in sand and sacrosanct but to me at a very high level that annual planning process is literally there there are two core parts to it which is almost the top-down numbers which is coming in and i'm going towards your finance background here jeff which is coming from a finance lens, the overall number, what's the, what's the dollar number, what's the growth number, what's what's the margin profile ideally, especially in today's times, and how do you drive towards that? But then there's the bottom up of how do you really break that out by segment? What's the number from a financial plan perspective? Second, how do you think about capacity planning? What's the headcount model? Third, if you think about actually building, building that and translating that into quotas, then you work around the overall territories. And, and again, there's so many different teams that can play into this. And there are so many layers below that because you think about marketing, you think about the pipeline number, which, which connects to all of this customer success and different way comes in and 
has an impact on all of this. So I would almost break into these two big buckets of top down, bottom up, and there are so many layers within each. So one thing that screams out to me is that has a lot of process to it, right? So the larger companies can start early. Mm -hmm. Some companies might start as early yes. as April. Some companies are starting, you know, middle of the year in August. And then you have your startups right. who are waiting to see how midway through Q4 is going to perform. And then they're basically starting their plan in October, um, which is, you know, okay mm -hmm. for that size of organization. But one thing that always strikes out to me is if you don't have a plan around your annual planning, you are literally skipping from one major milestone to the next, and you're working in sequence yes. as opposed to in parallel. So, so let's go over a couple of examples. Uh, we know our number Good that point. we generally need to hit, that, that has valuation potential to many companies. Right. Second is going to be mm -hmm. how do we get there with the coverage model, inbound, outbound, the headcount, the capacity, and then breaking them down into targets. Hopefully they're realistic targets because folks don't ever want to work for a place where they just can't hit their number. And then your territories. I'm curious you know, where you Absolutely. are in your journey right now. And then how do you make sure that you get all of your different revenue operations team members and your staff members all on the same page? Great. And I think I, I would almost say on that journey, I would actually had one more piece there, Jeff, which is there's often a business definition or operating model definition which which comes in again. And that, to be fair, should be true for companies of all sizes. Um, and I would say for us at this point, and again, Gong at this stage, we're, we're, we're somewhere between a scale-up and a large company. So we're, we're literally reinventing ourselves every year. And this year in particular is very different, right? If I think about what journey the entire SaaS landscape has been over the last 18 months, there are so many questions you're looking at from an operating model standpoint, which is, What's the right org structure? How do you think about segmentation? Where do you draw different lines around pieces? And and in fact, I was even in a conversation with a couple of uh, other RevOps professionals or friends in, in other firms. I've spoken to two different teams who are thinking about literally their sales structure moving from either a hunter farm model to a hybrid sales structure to someone moving the other way around. Then think about does customer success only own the expansion number versus the retention number, how do you, so there's so many pieces within that entire operating model or go-to-market strategy. So, so that's, that to me is step one. And the reason I bring that up is we're actually going deep into that piece and that almost has a parallel sequence, if I might use that rather than being one after the other with our actual top-down numbers. So we're also going towards, we, we already have to some extent the top-down number of where we want to be. You mentioned the valuation piece. So if like we, we have an idea of where we want to grow to next year. And now we're, over, we're almost overlapping that with what's our operating model and key decisions that we need to make there. And I think the one key part, which, which I think, again, neither, neither of those pieces touch one is the actual change management driven across all of it. So that's where we are right now, which is defining the first two. Yeah, a couple of conversations that I have is depending on your maturity, if you've sold into your space for a number of years, you've probably knocked on many of the doors that are in your account base. And so you're starting to shift your growth from acquisition to expansion. And when you make that shift from acquisition to expansion, it also changes the profile of the individual that you rely upon for that growth. Mm -hmm. Is it that pure hunter or someone that's a hybrid or someone focused on expansion? Mm -hmm. And then you also have these conversations around from a generalist to a specialist. And so I always find that moving from hunter to farmer is easier than moving from farmer to hunter. Mm -hmm. 
But you also want to have the conversation around, should we turn our hunters into farmers? Because that skill is so rare. It's so hard to find. And turning your best hunters into yes. farmers is potentially, you know, um, you're losing growth on maybe some new segments that you want to go into in the long run. And that's, and that's a very fair point. Um, in fact, one thing which I didn't mention in my, in my introduction, over the last eight, 10 months, I've also been moonlighting and managing an account management team within Gong. Um, and there is a very certain skill set or type of person, as you rightly said, who loves to be in that hunting situation where you start every quarter back down to dollar zero and start scoring from there going up to whether you're in you're in mid-market segment enterprise smb wherever it's like day one of four to get zero and i think it's both that skill set and the mindset of being able to deliver on that so i'm totally with you it's, it's a conversation and a question when companies do decide to move it's there's the business imperative about this is why we're going there. It could be whether you want to drive more towards and if it's an acquisition focus or an expansion focus, whichever problem you're trying to solve. And to your point, Jeff, you choose accordingly. But there's more of a people question as well, which which is, do I have the right people in terms of both skill set and mindset? So when you're thinking about operational efficiencies for the next year, how much do unit economics mm -hmm. guide your thinking from a top-down CAC? LTV payback period. Yes. Are you using those metrics in your planning for next year? And if so, like what are some of the levers and yes. dials that you're thinking about pulling to drive efficiency? Spot on, Jeff. And in fact, I think that's probably the biggest difference I'm seeing both this year and I think to an extent we started incorporating that last year as well. Uh, so two things which we're doing. One, I think I saw I saw an interesting stat recently where there was some some uh, studies which said that the average lifetime value, which which actually is, is your break-even point before before your customer acquisition cost is actually recovered per customer, has actually doubled in the last three years. So it used to be on average for a SaaS company about two years. Now it's gone to four years. So you need to have a customer. And, and, and coupled with that, the second competing metric there is churn rates have gone through the roof in SaaS. So if you combine those two almost opposing forces, that's something we're, we're being very, very conscious about. So the two unit economics numbers we're looking at almost going deep in is number one, we're trying to get a sense of revenue per head at a very high level because the moment you start thinking about the overarching go-to-market teams, but then you stretch that beyond. And, and, and what we are looking at uh, as a number or a metric, and we're trying to benchmark across what we can see from public companies, like I said, I've been at LinkedIn where the average dollars per head and per employee across all functions was almost as high as almost a thousand dollars per employee, which is incredible. Um, and sorry, I say hundred. I'm almost a million dollars per employee. I'm, I'm off by off by a factor of a thousand. And if I if I contrast that with a lot of startups right now finding themselves somewhere between two hundred thousand and five hundred thousand, so how do you move closer to north of that? So that's the first metric we're trying to bring in. Uh, the second metric we're actually looking at is the overall acquisition cost and, and that model. And that's exactly why I think some of these questions on the operating model is coming in, which is what's your, what are the right ratios? And think about how many SDRs are you mapping to A's? If you think about how many dollars are you spending on marketing per lead coming in, so it's literally all the ratios going back in through the, through the value chain of, of your customer life cycle and coming back and trying to figure out where do we get those small, small levers of efficiency which can cause a huge impact on the number in the end. So if I use that benchmark of $1,000 per employee, 
for a startup that's mm-hmm. in the Series B trying to raise a Series C, they're probably at 140 to 160 employees. Take the middle of that, you're looking at 150 employees, mm-hmm. $15 million. The growth rate from mm-hmm. a VC's perspective is going to be in the 60% plus growth range. And right. not only yes. that, you have to drive down your CAC numbers. I've seen some interesting stats recently yes. from Insight Partners that, um, mm-hmm. no, sorry, from um, uh, David Spitz. Open deal? Uh, yes. From, from Dave, okay. David, David Spitz. He's, he's been talking about how CAC mm-hmm. uh, sales and marketing expense rates are flat. So you would think on the surface things right. look pretty fair. But when you look at customer acquisition costs, it's actually been skyrocketing over the last five or six years. And that's because you're still spending the same amount. You're, you're, you're keeping the nominal spend flat, but you're acquiring fewer mm-hmm. customers. So that number of new right. customers is now going down, and that's driving your customer acquisition costs upwards. So as companies start to think through, okay, well, if the volume of deals is not going to be there from new, I'm going to have to start driving yes. and feeding growth from my expansion book of business. Like, let's look at our existing customers. Mm-hmm. Let's identify that we're buttoning up a couple of things. Are we slowing down downgrades? Right. If a customer is going to downgrade, let's slow it down as much as possible. If they're going to churn, mm-hmm. let's see if we can save it. So you start thinking about how do I turn right. reds into yellows and how do I turn yellows into greens? What are my save and my churn right. plays to do that? Additionally, mm-hmm. you know, holding on to your very best reps, your best sales reps, making sure that they don't go and then reformatting your hiring profile so you don't misfire yes. when you're hiring new people. The last thing you want to do is tax an organization with interviews and offboarding and knowledge transfers. Yes. You want to make sure that you nail all of that as much as possible to drive those efficiencies. Spot on, Jeff. In fact, one phrase which, I know which has been overused, which is coming to my head from uh, to my head from your point there, is doing more with less. One of the things which I think every company, including us, thinking about is if you have a certain territory where you had X number of reps and you fed them Y number of accounts. To your point, if if productivity per rep is coming down in terms of logos closed, do you have fewer reps with the same territory? That's one question. But on, on the flip side, there is still an opportunity. And this is where, again, and I'm, I'm based in Ireland. There's an international element to it where you could probably reinvest or repurpose some dollars where you probably still have the same total number of heads globally. And then the question we're thinking about is how do we start repurposing to expand in, in markets that we are not selling, but it's still early days enough that you would get enough productivity to go into those. And again, you have again you have the same trade-offs of if I put a head in there, how much do I need to spend? Is there any related costs around that? Or with everything that we're spending being the same, can, is it an additional way of getting dollars at a cheaper cost, which could be depending on the location you go into. So that's another piece which is, I guess, top of mind for us. Well, it's interesting because it views your investments, people, programs, initiatives, software as mm-hmm. an investment. And you have a hurdle rate that you need to clear. And if it doesn't clear that hurdle rate, it doesn't make, it's a no-go investment yes. essentially. Um, I'm curious about process improvement in the middle of the cycle, right? So sales mm-hmm. reps in yes. the past are developing their own quotes, their own proposals, their own contracts. How mm-hmm. are you saving time for your reps so that they can reallocate it to external customer facing activities? Brilliant. So one, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and stay away from plugging the the company I work for, but I despite trying it'll be difficult not to. <laughs> <laughs> so so again so again we, we obviously we we drink our own champagne or eat our, our own dog food if either of those phrases make sense. Um, so we use Gong a lot to try and save time. So we've really gone in and spent a lot of time on really 
adding more efficiency. And I know there's so many numbers about, and I don't know if it's 60%, 70% of rep time is spent on non-selling activity. We're trying to maximize the amount of selling time that they get. So we've really gone all in on, on, on optimizing and, and, and uh, redefining our tech stack. And that's that to an extent has helped. The second thing we're trying to do is as much as possible reduce the amount of administrative burden from, on, on reps. Uh, and that's everything from how you think about account planning. The, I know one phrase which I believe you and I will probably love is the operating rhythm. And really define that operating rhythm to be very, very, uh, I would say, productive and efficient in terms of the time that reps get back to themselves. Even a simple thing like having no meetings last month of the quarter or no internal meetings, a lot of customer meetings, hopefully. So small things like that and tweaks like that we're trying to do. And again, you know, optimizing tech stack does not mean investing in tools that give time back to the reps. It's almost also being very, very uh, deliberate with where they're spending money to get time back to the reps. We're trying to do that. I find that tools don't have to be a software. It could be a, something as simple as a pricing desk or a contract desk. Hey, instead of developing the pricing on your own without anyone seeing it or approving it and making sure that it's standard to your processes, send it in yes. to, the, to the deal desk team. The deal desk team will help you structure that deal so that both sides are happy, prospect yes. and customer. Not only that, writing your own contracts, writing your own proposals. In my mind, that's a no-no because you always miss terms, especially if you're negotiating on yes. customer paper. If the customer gives you their MSA, their document, now you have to make sure yes. that they're not putting restrictive clauses in. So you want to make sure, and, and to me, I don't want to turn my sales reps into pricing analysts or quote, uh, to quoters or to co or legal or lawyers. I want to take that time back and carve it to a function. So something as simple as that. We always talk about saving clicks for on the, at the CRM mm -hmm. level, but there's also, once you get to pricing, quoting, contracting, proposal development, it's taking those hours back, right? So let me just take care of that. Just submit it to me, I will get back to you. You get two or three hours back, go on LinkedIn Sales Nav and go prospect, yes. go hit the pavement. You, you've hit such an incredible point there, Jeff, because I think on the process side, when I was, and again, when I was managing the account management team for a while, I got a chance to look at it. The amount of time spent on doing the the dance on pricing with between a customer and a sales rep, there's just so much time spent on figuring that out. So a simple thing, it could even be a spread, right? It need not be, it could just be a spreadsheet with here's the guidelines, here's what you can go into our framework. And we've, we even did some, some math on that with, with the reps in our team here, which is the amount of time you spent in saving X number of dollars. And this is again a world where there is a certain amount of pricing power that customers carry more than they did a couple of years ago. In that world, the more prescriptive you can be and have something which the reps can fall back onto and, and not have to worry about X number of conversations and approvals and pieces, that really helps in, in redefining and, and, and adding more time back. So. You know, you've been in the space for 10 years. I've been in the space about the same amount of time. I'm curious if you traveled back in time and met your younger self, like what advice you would give yourself as you exited consulting and moved into revenue operations? Great, great question, Jeff. And I think the number one thing I always go with, I heard someone say this to me about five years ago. It stuck with me. And he said, I, I feel like you guys in RevOps tend to run towards fire rather than away from fire. And the reason why... <laughs> he had that perspective was every single big problem that a company comes up, I think we're always the ones putting a hand up. So if I had to go back to my younger self back then or anyone looking to enter RevOps, it's literally find the biggest problem to solve 
and take a big crack at it. And, and, and the biggest problem obviously comes top down from the biggest problem from the CEO, the CRO, the heads of sales, the head of go market teams. If you can solve those problems, you're making a huge, huge dent, even just by starting to define what the problem is. Solve the big rocks first. Don't worry about the pebbles. Love that. So where can folks connect with you, Shantanu? Where can they learn more about you? Great, Jeff. Uh, so I think I'm probably the most active on LinkedIn. Like again, that's where we, we connected. Uh, so LinkedIn, I'm, I'm very active there. Uh, and if anything, just hit me up uh, over there. All right, appreciate having you on the RevOps Review. Thanks, Shantanu.